Welcome to Bible and Bourbon with Pastor Ben. Today we are discussing Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 15, the Lord's Prayer. Our prayer request for this week is an update from a prayer request a few weeks ago. There was a woman who had a young friend with cancer, and unfortunately that friend passed away this week. Now while that friend is embraced by God, the rest of those around her must go on without her in their lives, which can be hard. And I want her and all of those friends of this wonderful young woman to know that we are praying for you. Now, while this podcast might be called Bible and Bourbon, I've been known to have a few Kentucky Rye whiskeys, and this week is no exception. I'm drinking Quarter Horse Rye Whiskey. It is a Kentucky Rye Whiskey made from Quarter Horse Distillery out of Owensboro, Kentucky. It has a nice, good flavor, and I always enjoy the spiciness of a rye. Now, let's start our study off with a prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for the opportunity to learn from your son Jesus, to learn his approach to life, and learn how we should approach situations in our own existence. Allow this not to be the best part of our day, but merely a building block to something better to come. Amen. Matthew, chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 15. So I mentioned last week that I was planning on covering quite a bit of chapter 6 in this episode. However, after getting into the study, I found that this section on the Lord's Prayer was more than enough for a full episode. Because the Lord's Prayer is one of the most prominent pieces of Christian liturgy, or, or parts of worship. The Lord's Prayer has been used since the 16th century as a quick-hand way to compare languages, because the Lord's Prayer has been published or translated into so many different languages, often centuries before the entire Bible is translated into those languages. People would create 
collections of the Lord's Prayer translated into as many languages as they could find, and they'd use it as a way to compare one language to another. Imagine the Lord's Prayer in Chinese versus the Lord's Prayer in Latin. Also, before the use of clocks was commonplace, cookbooks would use the Lord's Prayer to measure time. They would write something along the lines of simmer the broth for three Lord's Prayers. It was understood that it was common knowledge. Everyone could recite the Lord's Prayer and know it by heart, which means it could be used for a wide variety of things, including telling time or comparing languages. But the Lord's Prayer, as it is given to us here in the Gospel of Matthew, opens up a larger discussion. Because it's not just about the Lord's Prayer, but also prayer in general. And prayer is an incredibly important part of our spiritual life. But it's also incredibly misunderstood. I think we all have some idea of the function of prayer in our lives. I still remember the prayer that my parents taught me as a child that I would say each night before bed, Dear Jesus, please bless, and then a long list of the names of every family member in my life before the word, Amen. I also remember the first time that I spent the holidays with my wife's family. My wife's family is Catholic, and they say the typical Catholic prayer before each meal. And I wish I could recite that prayer for you now, but but whenever I hear it, they say it just as one long syllable without any spaces as they're trying to finish the prayer as quickly as possible before they start eating. And in my own tradition, I often privately pray before big events in my life or, or times when I need spiritual guidance as a way for me to reflect and, and ask for God's help. It's often not one that's verbal, but internal. And if you look at all of the different prayers we have, we can see that there is a wide variety. Some prayers say the same words over and over, and other prayers are different each time. And of course, there's those prayers that you hold deep in your heart, that you say alone in your room, unseen by anyone other than God. And when you read this passage, that seems to be the prayer that Jesus is advocating for. Jesus also points out a pagan tradition, saying that pagans go on babbling, or in some other translations, repeating words. Jesus doesn't specify a particular pagan religious group, so we can assume that this was probably something practiced by many different pagans that would have been present in Jerusalem. We don't know much about a lot of different pagan practices because they didn't write much down, but we do know a little bit more about the Romans and the Roman pagan practices. We know that they practiced a very formulaic version of public prayer. They would recite a long list of names, the names of gods, the names of officials, the names of individuals, and then ask loudly and precisely for very specific things. They wanted to make sure they did not mispronounce anyone's name, something that I do quite often on this podcast. These prayers were meant to inform the gods 
of something that was needed for an individual. They assumed that the gods did not know what was expected of them unless they were asked. But these formulaic prayers often seemed a bit stale. They were the same prayer over and over again, extended for a very long period of time. And we can see that Jesus was against this kind of prayer. But it makes it a little bit odd that we use the Lord's Prayer in a similar function today. In many church services, mine included, we say the Lord's Prayer in its entirety at some point during the service each and every week. We say it in a very formulaic and public manner. And in some ways, it might seem stale, like it's just babbling or vain repetition, much like the pagans. But there are some important differences. Jesus says that our Father knows what we need before we even ask. Our vain repetition is not vain because we are not announcing what we are asking for, but we are saying that the Lord's will should be done. Because we are asking for something, asking for something very clearly. But it's not for us as individuals. And by saying the same thing week after week, that God's will be done, we are not praying in just babbles or repetition, but we are praying for something that is important. So let's go through the sections of the Lord's Prayer, because the Lord's Prayer is not just a good thing for us to repeat, but it's a good thing for us to understand. In many ways, we should model our own prayers off the Lord's Prayer, even those prayers we have in our room, alone, in our heart. The Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew starts with an introduction. Our Father, who art in heaven. Now, this could simply mean that God is in heaven above, that God is not here on earth. But it's often been understood as something more, that heaven is in the heart of those people who hold their Lord Father dear. The early church theologian Augustine said that we are his holy temple, and that we're not merely addressing him as dear father, but as our father. The rest of the Lord's Prayer can be divided into a series of petitions or requests. And the first petition is understood to be, Hallowed be thy name. When I was growing up, I used to think that this line said, Hallow be thy name. And I never understood why his name should be hollow. But the word is hallowed, not hollow. And hallowed is an older way of saying to be set apart, to be holy. And by asking this, we are asking for God's name to be set apart as holy. Next, we have the second petition, that thy kingdom come. This is a parallel to the kingdom of Israel. And a common understanding that we use today as Christians is that the kingdom of heaven should come near, that we are asking God to overcome the nations of this world and replace it with one holy nation. 
Additionally, the Greek word here, bastilla, means both kingdom and kingship. And that's an important piece of information. Because it's not just the kingdom of God, but the kingship of God. It's both personal and governmental. It's not a purely abstract kingdom, but actually the kingship of our Lord God. And then, of course, we ask for the third petition. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This request is connected to the one that came before, that the kingdom of God in heaven should come down to earth and his will should be done just as it is in heaven. I needed a drink before we move on to the fourth petition, because the fourth petition is the most interesting. Give us this day our daily bread. You might think that this is straightforward, that this is a personal request for our daily bread. But the truth is, we have very little idea of what we're asking for here. Because this possibly is the most contested translation in the entire Bible. For good reason. Because it includes a made-up word. The word we have rendered as daily is actually the word epiusios, which only occurs in the Lord's Prayer. We find it used absolutely nowhere else in all of written history only in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. And they give us no definition of the word at all. We can only guess, based on its structure and the analysis of the roots of this word, what it could possibly mean, but we are guessing at best. And most scholars reject the translation as daily, but... They can't come up with anything better either because no one knows what it means. One of the best translations of this word came from St. Jerome when he described it as super substantial. But what's interesting about super substantial is that St. Jerome made up that word in Latin as a definition to this made up word in Greek. We have some idea that this word is more than substantial. That it means that this bread is not just for substance, but for something greater. But that's all we know. And that would make sense. Jesus often describes the bread of life. And it seems like that's what he is asking for here. Not for our daily bread to live by but for something greater. A bread that gives us spiritual nourishment, not just physical nourishment. But we're never really going to know what Jesus meant. It just gives us something else to talk about. It always surprises me when we do these studies how, how little we actually know and how much we take for granted. We might recite the Lord's Prayer week after week. It is most likely the most memorized portion of Scripture past John 3.16. 
But still, we don't know the definition of even this most central word. And that's why it's important that we study the scripture week after week so that we can open our eyes to new possibilities and find that bread of life. The fifth petition is in many ways equally misunderstood. Because depending on your church or your denominational background, you might say a different version. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or possibly, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. These three ways are used by a number of different Christians to get to the same point. We are asking God to forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. But it's not quite alone. We're not asking God to forgive our sins in equal and in kind to the sins we forgive around us. But we are more of asking that our sins are forgiven but also that we have the power to forgive the sins that people do against us. And this is repeated in the last two sentences after the Lord's Prayer as well. Then we have the sixth petition. You probably didn't realize how many requests were in the Lord's Prayer, did you? But this petition asks us not to be led into temptation. And this one, like the others, might seem simple, but it's not either. Because the word temptation in Greek is paramos, which has a whole range of meanings. It can mean everything from temptation, to testing, to trial, or to experiment, all just depending upon the context in which it's used. And we don't have much context here to go off of. It truly is a very short petition. In fact, Pope Francis, and whether you are Catholic or not, Pope Francis has spent a fair amount of time studying the Bible, and he can comment, just as any scholar, on translations. And in a public discussion, he talked about the Italian translation of this very verse, which is quite similar to the English translation. And he said, that it was a poor translation, and that he instead preferred the French translation, which was, do not let us enter into temptation. Do not let us enter into temptation versus do not lead us into temptation. And you can see that both of these have very different meanings. In English, it seems as if God is actively leading us astray, and we are asking for God not to do this. While in French, we are asking God to not let us enter into temptation on our own accord. Which makes more sense. Why would God lead us astray? Isn't it more likely that we would lead ourselves And we are just asking for God to give us the power to overcome those temptations that we lead ourselves into. Now, 
finally, we come to the seventh petition, the last one. But deliver us from evil, or the evil one, because scholars are divided on whether this translation should be evil or the evil one, meaning evil in a generic sense, or the evil one as the devil. Because the word here in the Gospel of Matthew could refer to either one, and Matthew uses it, the same word in the exact same way to refer either to the devil or just evil in general. And the truth is, we don't know. But still, we continue to say it, week after week. This was the end of our Lord's Prayer in the scripture we read today. Some of you, particularly if you're in a Catholic church, think that this is the end of the Lord's Prayer, while other listeners, who may be from different Christian backgrounds, would add a sentence to the end. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. The 13th verse of Matthew, depending on your translation, either includes these words, or it doesn't. The King James Version includes this ending, while the New International Version does not. This doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer is included in later manuscripts of the Gospel of Matthew, but not in the earliest ones we have. Likewise, early theologians did not include this doxology when they discussed the Lord's Prayer, while one of the earliest writings about worship did. Much like the rest of the Lord's Prayer, we don't know if it should be included or not. We don't know if those earliest versions of the Gospel of Matthew that left it off were correct, or if the later versions that added it in were correct. We don't know if Jesus said it or not. But here's what I can say. The Lord's Prayer teaches us about praying. Even with all of these bits of misunderstandings, we know that we should pray to our God. Pray not a long list of requests for ourselves, but we should pray that his will is done. We should pray that love prevails and sin declines, that the kingdom of compassion comes and the kingdom of man disappears. Our prayer should not end up looking like a grocery list of things we want in our lives, but instead, something deeper. I didn't expect to spend this much time talking about the Lord's Prayer, but the fact that it's one of the most well-known pieces of the Bible, but yet probably one of the most misunderstood, means it deserves some study. As always, thank you for joining me today. If you have any questions over the material or any prayer requests, please email me at bibleperiodbourbon at gmail.com. Additionally, if you do drink, please do so responsibly. While it is true that Jesus drank wine, an occasional glass is different than an addiction. If you need help, please seek it. If you need help but don't know where to look, please reach out to me and I'll be happy to guide you. Blessings, everyone.